0: Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. This is the day which the Lord hath made, and I hope that we will rejoice and be glad in it. And I feel that it is nice that we have come into God's house. You heard me mention over at the lectern that today is the 23rd Sunday after Trinity. That means that in this church year only two more Sundays remain in the Trinity season. It means that only after two more Sundays then do we bring to a close another church year. And so we are conscious that the shadows are beginning to lengthen, that time is fleeting by. And on this 23rd, the third last Sunday of the church year, the epistle lesson that is written and again that is read today in hundreds of thousands of liturgical churches in the world is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippian congregation up in Macedonia. You recall that it was while Paul and Silas were on the first missionary journey that they set foot in Europe, went up into Macedonia, and there at Philippi established the first Christian church on the continent of Europe. Years later, while Paul was in jail in Rome, he wrote this letter to that Christian congregation. You recall that last Sunday also, the epistle was taken from this letter. And in this section of God's word, the epistle for this Sunday, we find Paul saying to the Philippian Christians, he is saying, Christians, will you remember this? Will you write this on your heart? Will you never forget this, that our conversation is in heaven? In other words, will you remember this, that our citizenship is in heaven. Our commonwealth is in heaven. Christians, we are citizens of no less than heaven. We are citizens of the heavenly country. We are citizens as Christians of God's country. Wonderful, magnificent, oh so exciting, so thrilling, so breathtaking. And this is the basis for the sermon this morning. And Paul speaks to you and me on this third last Sunday of the church year as we see the shadows beginning to lengthen. And Paul is saying to you and to me as Christians, Christians, will you remember this? Will you write it on your hearts? Will you never forget it? That our citizenship, our conversation, our commonwealth is in heaven. That we are citizens of no less than heaven. Breathtaking, exciting willing wonderful, magnificent, and I don't know about you, but isn't it true that all of us sometimes we say to ourselves, we find it rather hard to believe that we are to write that onto our hearts and minds. We are never to forget it, that we are a citizens of no less than heaven. We are citizens of the heavenly country, of God's country, and that this is so wonderful and magnificent. We may say, what's so wonderful and magnificent about it? Sometimes we've heard it so long that we are children, we are citizens of God's country that it becomes rather trite and sharp in your life and mine, doesn't it? And we say that it fails to thrill us, it fails to excite us, and again we say that it somehow rather fails to fill us that we can say to ourselves, my, how tremendous is this thing? because we get so familiar with the fact that we are citizens of heaven. And we may say, what's so wonderful really about being citizens of God's country? And Paul would remind you and me that Paul would say, oh, this is breathtaking, hold on to it, never lose it. And for this reason that he says that our citizenship, Paul would remind you and me that it's the greatest. It is second to none. It can't be taught that even Jesus Christ could not make it any more wonderful than what it really is. And this is what I'd like to do with you this morning, to look at this citizenship that is yours and mine. We are citizens of God's country, and to realize that even Christ couldn't make it any more wonderful and beautiful and more magnificent than it really is. And let's see if that isn't true, and you have the right to challenge him. What greater things could Christ give to this citizenship than what you and I have because Paul reminds us in the first place that our citizenship in the heavenly country that it necessitated no less than the death of God's son how many of us this morning realize that in order for us to be citizens of heaven of God's country it was necessary that no less than God die for us You may say to me this morning, why couldn't the angel Gabriel have died for us? Couldn't the angel Michael have died for us and made us citizens of heaven? Couldn't somehow one of the 10,000 times 10,000 angels, the 100 million angels of God, couldn't somehow or other one angel have died for us and made this citizenship possible? And the answer is no. It had to be only God's Son without his coming to the world without his becoming flesh and dwelling among us without him becoming virgin born becoming a human being and dying on the cross there would have been no citizenship for you and me in the heavenly country it had to be no less than god for this simple reason that an angel is a created being and therefore of no more value to god than you and i because we are created beings but god the son is god he is deity he is uncreated he is of more value than the human race and therefore when you and I look at this citizenship let's know this that God himself God the son in the person of Jesus Christ had to die in order that you and I might be citizens of that heavenly country and because of that tremendous cost let's know this that it simply can't be topped there isn't anything that you and I could add to it because citizenship in heaven means this that when Christ comes again It means that there will be no eternal punishment awaiting you and me and there will be no temporal punishment awaiting you and me. He's going to come again, Paul said, our conversation, our citizenship, think of it, is no less than in heaven from whence we look for the return or the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's going to come again, and we are mindful of this as we see the shadows beginning to lengthen and another church are about to be brought to an end. Christ is coming at the last day, or he's coming to you and to me in the moment of our death. And what a tremendous thing citizenship means, when we have been brought to faith in him and he is our Christ and we are citizens of heaven, if he comes in that moment of death before his final coming to you and me, it means that there is absolutely no punishment awaiting us to death. There is no hell, there is no damnation because on the cross he paid the bill in full and also this, there is no temporary punishment awaiting you and me. After death, the word of God reveals only two places, heaven and hell. It reveals no place where you and I must go to atone for some sins that we still must atone for. There is no place mentioned in scripture of a purging that we must go temporarily to it and that we must suffer so that we shall bear again our own guilt and our own punishment for a time and then when that is done be admitted to heaven, thank God. There is a Christ, too, because he was God who died for you and me, There is no punishment whatsoever awaiting you and me in that moment when he returns, even in that moment when he comes for you and me in death. No eternal punishment. And if that doesn't mean anything to you and me, we ought to stand at the cross occasionally. And when in the darkness, when he was bearing our guilt, the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me and paying the bill in full, it was so tremendous that God darkened the world that day. And he cried out in his muttersprache, in his mother tongue, my God, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? It means this citizenship for you and me, friend, and I challenge you to top it. It means that in the moment of death, you and I can say, Thank God, because in Christ I am a citizen of the far country. I am a citizen of God's country. I know this that my God, my God, you have not forsaken me. There is no punishment, eternal or temporary, awaiting me. I challenge you. You improve on that if you can. And that's why as the shadows begin to lengthen, and this is the 23rd Sunday after Trinity, we ought to say to ourselves, as Paul, I'm going to write this on my heart, I'm going to say to myself every day that I am a citizen of no less than heaven. That my conversation, my citizenship, my commonwealth is in heaven. That I am a citizen of God's country. I am a citizen of the heavenly country. And Then we will be determined to look within ourselves and to probe and to say, Am I sure, am I certain that I am a citizen of God's country? Oh, to be sure. We say to ourselves, how can I be sure? Does God really forgive me my sins? I wonder how many times even the Apostle Paul said to himself, when he looked back on his life and he realized that he had persecuted the church, when he said that I am the chief of sinners, I wonder how many times he said to himself, has Christ really forgiven me? Am I really a citizen of heaven? Am I really again one who has been brought through faith in him? And I am sure that there was a tremendous comfort that came to him, the comfort of holy communion. I wonder if we realize today, But when we probe and we say, am I certain that God has forgiven me? That again, when I look back in my life and there are things that I find so hard to forgive myself, can I be sure that I have been forgiven and that citizenship in heaven is mine? I don't know of any greater comfort than Holy Communion because time and time Jesus says do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and as long as the world stands there will be Holy Communion and it's meant again to bring the assurance that Christ has forgiven you and me. Because in communion by means of lowly bread and wine, it communicates to us Christ's body and blood. That's the body and the blood of God the Son, the body and the blood that was given in death on the cross. And Jesus says, because you receive bread and wine, you may know that you have received my body and blood. Those two tremendous erasers that erase from your soul every evidence of guilt and every evidence of punishment. Don't forget this morning, there's a sign up for you as regards communion. And that sign is this, no angels allowed. There are no angels. If you're an angel, don't come to communion. Michael and Gabriel, don't come to communion. This is only for sinners, not for angels. If you are a sinner and you long for certainty, I know of no greater certainty than in the Lord's Supper, that you can say as you leave, I receive bread and wine. I know that I got his body and blood. I know that I am forgiven. I know that he has washed my soul whiter than snow. He remembers my sins no more. I know that I can be sure that I, again, have citizenship in that heavenly kingdom. I challenge you, you beat that if you can. Oh, the shadows are lengthening. We're coming to the end of another church here. And again, in the Christian church, Paul would call to you and me. He would say, listen, write it on your heart and don't ever forget it. Remember it until your dying day that our conversation is in heaven. We are citizens of no less than heaven. We are citizens of God's country, of the heavenly country. And oh, Paul says that's so breathtaking, that's so exciting, that is so tremendous, it's so thrilling. And all because it just can't be top, there isn't any citizenship that is comparable. It's second to none, even Christ couldn't make it any better because Paul also reminds you me in the second place, that this citizenship of ours in heaven it necessitates this. it necessitates no less than that Christ continually have complete control over Satan. How many of us realize that Christ must control Satan every millionth of a second, that there cannot be even one millionth of a second, but what Christ is in control of Satan? and if he were not so, that you and I could never retain being a citizen of heaven. If for one millionth of a second, Christ would lose control of Satan, Satan, that mean devil, he would simply take you and me and thrust us from Jesus Christ, and he would throw you and me into hell if there was one millionth of a second that Jesus Christ was not in complete control over him. Scripture says he's bound for a thousand years, and the finest explanation of that, in that period of time from the first advent to the second advent of Jesus Christ, Jesus stands in control. And that means that no one shall ever pluck you and me. Satan will never, never be able to pluck you and me out of his hand. He's got the whole wide world in his hand don't you ever forget it you may say to me this morning preacher do you mean to say that christ is in control when we look out on this world i certainly mean that he is in control of satan i know that this is the time of choice and if men want to serve satan they have that privilege but i know that he has the power that all things obey him why He met Satan on the day of his baptism, you recall, and he thrust him away in those temptations and went through Peter. And Peter said, you're not going to die. And Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Christ was in control. On the cross, Satan brought his death. Satan did bruise his heel, but Christ crushed his head. Christ became victorious. He arose from the dead. He descended into hell, and we oughtn't to leave that out of our creeds, as some churches are doing. He descended into hell. Why? The first one that saw the living Christ was Satan, the dirty devil. Christ descended into heaven and declared himself alive. I'm alive, Satan I have conquered. And because his church still stands today, in spite of dungeon fire and sword, The fact that his church still stands and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, I give you that evidence that Jesus Christ is still in complete control of Satan, regardless of how things look in the world. And therefore, this citizenship in heaven means this. He'll never be able, Satan, to take you and me out of the hands of Christ. He will never be able to send persecution in this godless world against you and me that will be greater than you and I can bear, that you and I can always say with St. Paul, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or danger, or distress, or nakedness, or dungeon, or fire, or sword. He said, for thy sake we are persecuted all the day long. And then Paul said, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus and that means a citizenship let me tell you that even Christ couldn't improve upon it means a citizenship that guarantees you and me that it may not be an easy journey in life till he comes again but it's going to be a safe one no temptation shall ever come when Christ is in control of Satan at all times never missing for a millionth of a second no temptation shall ever come to you and me that is greater than we can bear when we turn to him that's what it means the citizenship of heaven to be a citizen of heaven to be again to have our conversation our citizenship and our commonwealth in heaven let me tell you it's tremendous it is absolutely breathtaking it's exciting it's thrilling because it's second to none you can't top it i challenge you not an easy journey we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of god but let me tell you when we are citizens of heaven it's a safe journey jesus he's got the whole wide world in his hand don't you ever forget it. and that all means mean this that as the shadows begin to lengthen and we say to ourselves i'm going to write it on my soul that i am a citizen of no less than heaven that this means something that this isn't right that this was never become something shopworn in my life, that I must ever hold it before me, and then shall you and I determine into our life that we're never going to let anything, while we are strangers and pilgrims in this world, to ever mean more to us than our citizenship in heaven. Paul wrote to the Philippians and he told them, he said, there are some Christians already, he told the Philippians. He said, why, the way they behave themselves and the way they live, he said, why, you'd think that they were enemies to the cross of Christ. He said they are completely absorbed in the things of this world. They're gods, their belly, all they think about are material things. And again, they glory in their shame, the things that they do that are wrong. And Paul says, But their end is perdition, their end is destruction. And we say to ourselves, I know men say to me, Why, well, I can get along without Jesus Christ. Why, I know you can. Men say, What are you trying to put Jesus Christ and force him down our necks for? Millions can live without him, and I grant you. Millions are living without him. Many nominal Christians who again at one time profess faith are living without Jesus Christ, who are completely absorbed in the things of this world, who couldn't care less that they are citizens or should be of heaven. I know that. But I also know this. I know this, that when the chips are down, when the time comes in a man's life, when as it were the bottom of his life drops out, I know that then a man gropes for comfort and he wants the assurance that when everything is gone that he, oh, if he could only be a citizen of heaven. You've probably been reading your papers and you see where there are preachers in Columbus that are going to start a minister's union. Now the teachers are going to organize, and to me it's rather sad, even as it was sad when I saw the school teachers organize in a union. Oh, not that they don't have the right to do so, they do. But somehow or other in the noble profession of teaching, there's just something as regards an example to youth. And the same way I feel about the ministry. I wonder what would happen if we were all unionized in Marion this morning and last night at midnight, we preachers decided to call a strike and would say there would be no church in any church in Marion today. I wonder, first of all, how many people would care. Then the next thing that I wonder is what would God say? Personally, I want to be around. I know preacher salaries are low, and I know that of all the professions, the salaries are the lowest. I know that. Yet I also know this, that when a man who again may be a scoffer. When a man sees the bottom of his life drop out and he wants up, I want to be around. Let me tell you, I have many a scoffer come. Let the world drop out for a man. Let a man be on his sickbed and deathbed out at the hospital. He may have scoffed all his life. I stood at many of those beds, and I've seen men sweat again cold drops of fear. I've had men hold my hand that it hurt. And believe you me, I've shaken hands with thousands of people, and you've got to press pretty hard to hurt my hand. I've seen men who scoff say to me, Don't leave me. I'm afraid. I want to be there. Because let me tell you this. When the bottom drops out, then you do need Jesus Christ. Sure, when the sun is shining, everything's fine. But when again you lose something that's irreparable, and it's gone. As a woman said to me not long ago, but when she finally decided she had to divorce her husband because of the way he was living, when he realized what it meant to lose her and to lose the kids and the bottom dropped out, she said he would never come and talk to a preacher. He hates the church. He hates the ministry. He hates God. But he came. That scoffer and I, we prayed together. And he said to me, that's the first time I've prayed in years. And when he left my study... He was no longer a scholar. I don't want to belong to a union that strikes as a preacher. I want to be around. When the bottom drops out in your life, you don't need Christ. But, oh God, when the time comes when you want him, and when you know that he's all you've got, I want to be around. The shadows are lengthening. We say soon another church here is going to come to an end the apostle paul says to you and me as he said to the philippians write it on your heart will you will you write it on your soul that our conversation is in heaven that is that our citizenship is in heaven that we are citizens of no less than heaven of god's country and you and i may say what's so exciting about that what's so exhilarating what's so thrilling what's so wonderful what's so breathtaking paul says this is what's so wonderful about it try and top it even jesus christ couldn't do any more why? Because Paul also reminds you and me that our citizenship in the heavenly country, it necessitates this, that Christ, when he returns, it necessitates that he take our vile bodies and that he will make them new. How many of us realize just what citizenship really means? Unless he makes your body and mine new, well then, how could citizenship in heaven be second to nothing, and be tops, and be supreme. You see, when it comes again, when Christ comes at the last day, you and I may be dead at that time. And that means that our body has gone to the grave, and earth to earth, and ashes to ashes, and dust to dust. If your body and mine in the grave is not going to share in this citizenship, you and I would say, oh Christ, I could improve a little. Couldn't I be in heaven with my body? And that's why when he comes again, he's going to take our bodies and make them new. He's going to raise them from the dead because he raised his own body. Because I live, you shall live also. The hour is coming into which all that are in the grave shall hear my voice and shall come forth. Or you and I may be alive. If he came right now and you and I are alive, would you want to go to heaven with your body as it is right now? Well, when I was down in Egypt and was out at the pyramids and stood before the sphinx, and I, you know, the sphinx with the head of a man and the body of a lion. You've all seen the picture of the great statue, one of the wonders of the world. And I thought of the sphinx's riddle. The sphinx's riddle, you know, is this. What is it oh, that walks on four legs in the morning and walks on two legs at noon and... Three legs in the evening, the riddle of the Sphinx, And of course the answer to that riddle is, it's man. That man in the morning of life as a child crawls on all four, his hands and his legs, four legs. And in the noontime of life he walks on both feet, standing erect and in the evening of life. Three legs, he has a staff. You have your staff? the body kind of wearing out, illness, pain, what is pain but just slow death, caring, getting, rather, again, dim, the eyesight, not what it ought to be. Would you and I want to go as citizens of heaven with our present bodies? And I'm sure we'd all say, oh, surely to spend eternity the way our bodies are now. Oh, we want them better. And all oh, the joy is this that he will raise your body and change my body if you and I are alive when he comes. And thus, try and top this, he will make your body and mine like his glorious body. Imagine, Christ says, I'll change your humble earthly vile body that it will be as perfect, as wonderful, as marvelous, as glorious as incorruptible as my body, your Savior, your God. And I challenge you this morning, you top that. You top that. Rather strange, isn't it, that we, as pilgrims, we go through life, we again have such a tremendous assurance that our citizenship is in heaven, that you and I are citizens of God's country, of the heavenly country. We say it gets rather trite and worn, and again it loses its thrill, and we say, what's so breathtaking, and what's so exciting about it, what's so wonderful? And Paul says, "Kind, and top it. Paul was in jail when he wrote. You see, nothing else mattered. And therefore, we ought to determine today when we write it on our soul, and we say, another church here is coming to a close, the shadows... Are getting longer and longer and again I'm a citizen of heaven. We ought to say to ourselves I'm going to show it every day of my life in my love and in my mercy and in again my treatment of my fellow man I'm going to show them the way I act and the way I show in my disposition to them and what I do for them that my citizenship is in heaven but to me it's a thrill. To me it means something wonderful and then When you and I live like that every day, we're going to have a living faith. We're going to have a faith that, oh, we're going to be able to walk the glory road. And we're going to look forward with expectation to his coming. And uh, through smiles and through tears, we're going to be on tiptoe waiting for his coming. Oh, to have that kind of a faith. You know what kind of a faith Abraham had? You may wonder, how does it come that Abraham became the father of believers, father Abraham? Why, doesn't he lived over there in Ur the Chaldees, and he lived among idols. And God came to Abraham one day and says, Abraham, if you go to a land with that, I'll show you. He said, I will make of you a great nation, and in you and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. What kind of a faith did he have? How does it come that he went? He said, all right, God. And he started out, went on up to Haran about 400 miles northwest. And when he got up to Haran, his father died, and he came down a southwestward and traveled over 400 miles and came into a strange land called the land of Canaan had never been there he didn't know a soul and he didn't have a son how again could he ever be the father of a nation he lived in tents and that's all that he had and finally when he was a hundred years old and sarah was 90 they became parents of a boy and they named him isaac laughter they rejoiced abraham never saw the day when that land belonged to him when he was the father of a nation. But what kind of a faith did he have when you turn to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, to the great hall of fame, faith chapter, we are told that this is the kind of a faith he had. The reason why he went and went into that land and he kept on going, because he had a faith that looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker is God all through it all Abraham he had a faraway look he was looking for the city again he was looking for the country that had foundations, whose builder and maker was God through it all he was looking for heaven and that's why he went he had the kind of a faith to Abraham uh, oh, to leave home in tears and to say goodbye forever to his own family and to go it meant nothing because he had that faraway look He looked for that city, in other words, oh, to be with God in that city, that country that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And when you and I have that kind of a faith, we can say, what's the difference what comes? I'm a citizen of heaven. And because I'm a citizen of heaven, I'm going to walk the glory road. There will be smiles and there will be tears. But I'm going to walk it in eager expectation. He's coming again. And then everything is just going to be just right, and oh, you can walk the glory road, and we can sing, "Beyond the sunset, Oh, beyond the sunset, when you get beyond it. Oh blessed morning. Oh, what a morning. When with our Savior, heaven is begun, Won't it be tremendous? Earth toiling ended. Oh, glorious dawning, all that day. Oh, beyond the sunset, when day is done. You see, nothing else will matter. With tears or with smiles, why, it's the best. We are citizens of heaven. Oh, blessed morning. That's what it meant to Abraham. Nothing else mattered. When the shadows are lengthening the day, Nothing else matters in your life and mine. Don't forget, we're citizens of heaven. Yeah, no less than heaven, just beyond the sunset. Don't you see? Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding. keeping and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting.